Welcome to the weekly message from Albert Park Baptist Church, a community of believers seeking to love God, love one another and love our neighbourhood right in the heart of Melbourne. We hope you find today's message inspiring. Well, I just want to extend a warm welcome again to all of you who are here. We're so glad that you are here and I genuinely mean that. Um, every new experience that we have, uh, I believe, is a faith step, and we're so grateful to have you here. Um, I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it. We've been journeying through the book of Luke for the whole year, and so if you want to catch up on that, you can check out our podcast, and yeah, so let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your presence in this moment. And it's not just that we're in a brick building that says church on the front of it, that you're present, but the promise in your word is that for those who put their faith in you, that your spirit comes and lives within our heart. And so, Father, for those of us that that's true of today, I just pray that you would speak. And, Father, for those of us who that's not true of right now, that we don't trust in you, maybe we just walked in off the street, that that there might be something today that really moves us to think about you. God, I pray for this word today. God, I pray that you would speak. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that are open to you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Luke chapter 9 today. If you have a copy of the Bible, great. If you don't, chuck up, uh, it'll be up there for us as well. Um, But just to begin, uh, when I first started dating Emily, my lovely wife of seven plus years now, it became very obvious very quickly that they did catering differently to the way I grew up. Uh, My family typically just catered for the eight people that were in the room. Uh, Emily's family catered for about eight people in the room plus about 40 others who may or may not show up at a particular point in time. They never showed up, those 40 people, and so you had leftovers for about three weeks. And so I say that because as we read this uh, story today, or stories, you'll see something of of an abundance here. Um, But I also don't want us to lose sight of the fact that these are really common stories in church, and whether you've been in church every week for the whole of your life or whether this is your second time, you would have guaranteed heard one of two of these stories today. And so I want us to keep that in mind because it's easy to zone out or shut off when we've heard something that we think we know all the answers to. But even myself, and I've obviously studied this and done a lot of work and spent a lot of money getting degrees, even me saw something new in this today, over this last week. And so... I'd love to share it with you. But this is what it says, verse 1. When Jesus had called the 12 together, that for your benefit is the 12 disciples that he chose, he called them together and he gave them, as a gift, power. And that's the Greek word dynamite. But I don't want you to think about dynamite and explosions. I want you to think about the ability to do something. Because that's what that word actually means. Dynamos. It's the ability to do something. So it's given them the ability to do something and the authority, which is really the right or the agency to do it. And he, what, well, what is that thing? Well, he's given them the, the ability and the agency to drive out all demons and to cure or to heal sickness. 
Pretty cool thing so far. Verse 2. And he sent them out. And this phrase is like, think of, of, a, of a country's delegate that goes into another country on a little uh, trip. Think of uh, our prime minister going over to Indonesia. He's a delegate of the country. That, that's what he's doing. So he's sending them out as a delegation of a kingdom to proclaim or to make known the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And that word is not necessarily sick. It's the word for powerless or weak. And so Jesus, first of all, he gives them something and he sends them somewhere. He gives the power and authority, the ability and the agency to drive out demons and heal sickness. And this combination of power and authority, the ability and the agency is important. The God-given ability is to be used for the God-given purpose. So Jesus gives power and authority and in the power and authority he gifts, he sends them somewhere. And he sends them to do something, to heal the powerless. He grants power in order to heal the powerless. He gifts ability for the sake of curing inability. Jesus grants the disciples the ability and the agency for the sake of others. It's not for their sake. It's not for their benefit necessarily. It's for the sake of other people. And this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus has come to do. Particularly what he's come to do on the cross. And for Jesus, his ability will be as a perfect human and his agency will be as God's son and he will die once for all It's a selfless sending. So these 12 are given the ability and the agency to be delegates of the kingdom of God and they're to proclaim or make known in word and deed the kingly rule of God. That's their job description, if you like. In word, through proclamation, and in deed, through driving out demons, through healing the sick and raising up the powerless. It's a big job. He gives them, he sends them, and now he tells them, verse 3. He tells them this. Take nothing. That literally, that word literally means take no one thing for the journey. For this delegate's trip you're about to go on, you take nothing. And then in case they didn't get it, which I think they wouldn't get, he says this, not a staff, not a bag, not a loaf of bread, not money or silver, not an extra shirt. You take nothing for this trip. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Now, according to worldly standards, this is uh, a vastly under-resourced delegate's journey. And that's the point. You take nothing and I'll provide. It's almost a forced humility for the disciples. The disciples have to rely completely or solely on God and his provision through others. There's no other way around it. They got nothing, you know. And so what happens? Verse 6, it says this. So they set out and went from village to village. So they're not just going to one place. They're going all over the place. Went out from village to village, proclaiming the good news. They're doing what they were called to do. They're they're giving a message of, of hope, of God's kingdom, and they healed people everywhere. So at every village they went, they healed people. They're they're doing what their job description called for. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on 
And he was perplexed because some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others said that Elijah had appeared and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. The disciples start making waves in the society. People are talking. And their words and deeds are getting the attention of politicians. And I love the Greek word that's used to describe Herod's reaction. It says he was perplexed, which is more literally, he's at a loss to understand what is going on. It's his job to understand what's going on, and he just can't understand it. He's just at a loss. He can't explain what's happening. And there's a lot to understand contextually, and I don't want to bore you with a three-hour lecture or anything. Um, But the elevator explanation is that the people that are talking, they're they're wondering if, if the disciples' words and deeds are a foreshadowing of God's chosen leader coming to earth. Uh, a leader that would rescue them from the Romans, or so they thought. John the Baptist, before he was beheaded, he claimed to be the forerunner to God's chosen leader. He said, I'm here, but one's coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And the prophet Elijah, who's in the Old Testament, was a symbol of that forerunner. And it's quite clear in the books of Isaiah and other places that there will be one like Elijah, who will come as a forerunner, who will make the way for this Messiah to come. And so the people are wondering what's going on and whether the time for the rescue is coming. And Herod is just confused, which, again, I love, because he killed John the Baptist. He remembers the wedding where he beheaded him. And yet what John was talking about seemed to be happening. The eyes are opening, there, there was a kingdom coming that he couldn't quite explain. He's at a loss, verse 10. And so when the apostles or the delegates of the kingdom returned, they reported, and that, that word literally means they described in full detail everything uh, that they had done. So he sends them, he, tells, he, he gives them, he sends them, he tells them, and now he takes them somewhere. So they've reported what's happened, and now Jesus takes them somewhere, verse 10. And he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. And that town is of no importance to us, apart from the fact that we learn a few verses later that it is a remote place. So he's withdrawing them to a remote place. But here we read, But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. Now notice, after a time of ministry... Jesus takes the disciples with him and they withdraw by themselves. And here we see a a rhythm of Jesus modelled for his disciples and for us. And it's a rhythm that you'll consistently see as we journey through Luke. Engagement with the world and then withdrawal. Engagement and withdrawal. Engagement and withdrawal. It isn't go, 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 go until you burn out. And it's not stop, 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 stop and never go at all. It's Go stop, go stop, go stop, go stop. It's a rhythm of engagement and then disengagement. Of going and then stopping. And unfortunately for these guys, their withdrawal doesn't last very long. But what's important is Jesus' reaction to this. 
He isn't angry that the crowd has upset his rhythm or upset his schedule. You know, guys, between two and four today, we just want to rest, and so you guys bugger off over there until four o'clock. He doesn't do that. Instead, he welcomes them, and he speaks to them about the kingdom of God, about this coming kingdom, and he cures those who need healing. Now, it's been a big few days for these 12 disciples, and though I'm, I might be reading into this a bit too much, I think it makes sense for them to come with what they say in verse 12 to Jesus. It says this, Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him, to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, can you send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here? Or well, I think what I'm reading into it is the disciples kind of want food and lodging because they're in a remote place, they need to rest. And Jesus' reply is telling. He says this, verse 13, you give them something to eat. You provide for them. I'm not sending them away. You feed them. You do it. And they answered, well, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And unless we go buy food for this crowd, which is about 500 men at least, you know, that ain't going to happen. The disciples can't realistically see how this is going to all pan out well unless the people go off and buy their own food and get their own uh, place to stay. They don't have enough food and the idea that they could buy food for 5,000 plus people is a bit crazy considering these are the people who weren't allowed to take money on a little delegates trip. They're not cashed up, you know. They can't buy food for 5,000 people. The plan they have is to send the people away, and yet that's not Jesus' plan. He doesn't want them to go. He wants them to be fed. He wants them to be fed. And what's interesting here is that Jesus doesn't want to send these people away, and at the same time, Jesus wants the disciples to feed the people. And the disciples, if you like, are between a rock and a hard place. They're tired. They're getting frustrated, probably. They're hungry. You know, they want to rest their head. And so they want someone to go away, and yet Jesus is saying, no, no, they're going to stay, and you're going to feed them. Work it out. Work it out. And if I was Jesus, I'd probably bring up the fact that just remember that you had nothing a couple of days ago and did all this cool stuff. But he doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus shows them clearly how he can provide in their time of need and how they too can play a part in God's provision. Verse 14 says this, But Jesus said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did this, and everyone sat down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks to God, and he broke it. And I think we so often skip the fact that he gave thanks to God for something. I think so often we skip that part of it. We just see that God's provided, and we forget to thank him. And he gave thanks to God, and he broke the, the loaves and the fish, and he gave them to the disciples, like he gave them the ability and the agency to do something. He's now giving them the ability and the agency. They have it in their hands. You can go and give it to them now. And he gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people, and they all ate, 5,000 plus people, they all ate and were satisfied, which is a great word. Literally, they had all that they needed And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. So God didn't just provide the need, he provided in abundance of the need. 
Not only do the 5,000 people eat, they have their fill. And I can imagine the 2,000-year-old equivalent of undoing the top button of your pants or loosening the belt at this particular point. They were filled, they were satisfied. It was Christmas dinner, you know. Like they hadn't eaten this well in, in months. And more than that, each disciple was left holding a full basket of food. Not only am I going to provide for the 5,000, I'm here providing for you. This is full for you. So God provided more than enough for the need. And there are lots to take away from these 17 verses, uh, but I just want to draw your attention to two things. Firstly, in these verses, we see a really simple biblical principle at work, and the principle is this, that God will give us everything we need for his kingdom work. As a principle, we can just hold on to, we can bank the farm on. That God will give us everything we need for his kingdom work. In these 17 verses, we see Jesus give the disciples the ability and the agency to drive out demons, heal sickness, and raise up the powerless. We see Jesus give the disciples direction. Do you want direction today? There's a promise here. He sent them out to do something. We see Jesus give the disciples guidance. Take nothing, whatever house you enter. If people don't do this, he's guiding them. You know, we see Jesus giving the disciples space to rest. He took them with him and withdrew by themselves. Then we see uh, Jesus give the disciples instruction. You give them something to eat. Have them sit down. And finally, we see Jesus give the disciples a lesson in faith and service. He gave the disciples the blessing to distribute. I'm the one who brings the blessing. Your role is to distribute it amongst the people. Jesus gave the 12 everything they needed for their role as delegates in God's kingdom. He gave them agency, ability, direction, guidance, space to rest, instruction, and most importantly, a lesson in faith and service. And as I thought about this principle this week, I wrote down a question for myself, and maybe it's for you. What are the requirements to receive God's provision? What's required? The only requirement we see is a need and the seeking of God's kingdom. So you have a need and you're seeking God's kingdom. An answer which is better described in Luke 12, 31. In a discourse about worry uh, and having needs met, Jesus makes this statement, but seek first God's kingdom and all these things, and he's referring to the needs, all these needs will be given to you as well. Seek God's kingdom, and all these needs will be given to you as well. Now, that Greek word for seek, I don't want to bore you with Greek, but it's important. The Greek word for seek there means to follow. And it refers to the act of a will. It's something that we're doing rather than something that we're thinking. It's not, I intend to do this, it's, I am doing this. It's an act of a will. It's, it's, uh, it's habitual. It's rhythmic. You know, it's directional. It's a habit. God will meet our needs as, 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 to the extent that we are seeking his kingdom. And so the question I have for me, and maybe for you, is are our habits and rhythms focused on seeking God's kingdom? Is our life focused on and directed towards the things of God? It's something to think about. Is our life focused on and pointing towards the things of God? Secondly, these 17 verses are a clear reminder 
that we cannot do anything apart from God. And this statement is obvious if we think about breathing. Sure, we can breathe, but where are we getting the air from, you know? It's, it's obvious if we think about our heartbeat too. But specifically in relation to being a kingdom of God delegate on earth, Jesus is training his disciples to rely on him and nothing else. To rely on him and no one else. Take no one thing for the journey. You take nothing. Zero, zip, nada. We are utterly reliant on God's provisions. And I note Jesus' comical reply to the disciples, to his tired disciples, you give them something to eat. And as I do that, I'm reminded of Jesus' words to his disciples in John 15.5, which is up behind me. Jesus speaking, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If, keyword, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. And that's that same Greek word, no one thing. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about revival in this church recently, and I think that's a great thing. Um, and as we pray for it and as we petition God to move, uh, it's important that we remember that it's only through God and in a relationship with him that fruit will be born. It's not through our own willpower or our desire that things happen. And as a closing question, I think we need to ask ourselves now and regularly, am I or are we relying on God? Am I or are we relying on his provision? His provision. As we go out into the world as kingdom delegates, are we relying on the presence and the provision of God? If not, and this may sound harsh, but if not, it should come as no surprise that nothing happens. If we're not relying on God, it shouldn't surprise us that nothing ever happens. But if we are relying on the presence and provision of God, it should come as equally no surprise that something happens. Something quite wonderful. Something that gets people talking. Something that may even filter up to the local politicians. And I believe that God has done and is doing and desires to do great work here in this part of Melbourne. You read statistics about this being one of the highest percentage of atheists population base in the whole of Australia. That doesn't bother me at all. I believe that God can do great things. The question is, do we want to join him in what he's already doing? And if your answer is yes, as we pray in a moment, um, with everyone's eyes closed, I want you to raise your hand. If you want to join God in what he's doing, I'd encourage you, there's no kind of weird, wacky thing that happens here, just... I'd, I'd love to pray for you if that's, if that's where you're at. And if you've walked in here today and you're not believing in Jesus when you walked in and yet something about today made you think about that more, uh, I'd love to pray for you too. Um, and so let's pray. Father, I thank you for the principle that's really evident here today. That if we trust in you, that you'll provide us for all that we need for your kingdom work. That it's not about striving and striving and striving and hoping to make you proud of us. You already are proud of us. You already love us. You desire to give us what we need. Help us to rely on you today. And Father, if there's people in the room today who want to join you in what you're already doing, I'd encourage them to raise their hands now. Everyone's eyes are closed. No one's going to worry about that. 
And God, I just pray for these guys and girls today. Father, you see the hands raised and, and you know them. You know their stories, you know everything about them. The heart rate right now, the breath in their lungs, the number of hairs on their heads. You know what they're worried about, concerned about, hopeful for, wishing happened, guilty about, Lord. And, and yet they want to answer your call. They want to say yes. They want to join you in what you're doing. And so, God, I just pray that your spirit would speak into their hearts and minds right in this exact moment, Lord. Give them the wisdom to know how to connect with you better and, and the wisdom to know where you're at, that they might join you in that. And if there's someone in the room this morning who, who, yeah, walked in, didn't believe and feels like maybe there's something to this, just invite them to raise their hand as well in this moment. I'd love to pray for you. Father, we're grateful that you work, that you speak, that you plant seeds and water them. And we're grateful for the reminder that you alone are the one who makes things grow. And so, Father, we pray today that as we go out of here as delegates, that we'd know that you don't require anything from us apart from a need and the fact that we're going in your direction. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us if we're going left and you want us to go right to recorrect. Help us if we fall off the wagon to get back on, knowing that you still love us. You've always loved us. Remind us, Lord, of that simple truth that you brought us into a spacious place, that you rescue us because you delight in us and help us live in light of that today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If today's message evoked anything in you and you'd like to talk or pray with one of our pastors, please get in touch by phone or email. All of our details can be found at albertpark.org.au. We worship together in person 10am every Sunday at 115 Kerford Road, Albert Park. All are welcome. We look forward to seeing you soon.